Hello and welcome back to our study of the Dhammapada. Today we continue on with verse number 71, which reads as follows. Nahi papang katangkamang sajukirangwa muchati tahantang balamanviti basma chanova pavakoti which means uh, he indeed katangkamang a evil action when an evil action is done sajukirang uh, just like milk kirang uh, let's say just like milk kiram a kirang what just like milk Saju uh, muchati means uh, changes uh, immediately. Na. So just, anyways, forget the grammar. Just as milk doesn't go bad immediately, doesn't change and spoil immediately, so too, uh, or evil deeds that are done, when you, when you do evil deeds, well, just as milk doesn't spoil immediately, uh, evil deeds are the same in that they follow the fool Balamanveti. The hantang burning, they follow the fool burning him or her. Just as fire uh, covered with ashes, just like fire covered over by ashes, so meaning smoldering underneath. So the fire doesn't. Um, uh, burn up immediately but there's fire in, in the ashes when you when the fire burns down you, it's still hot and it can still rise up and burn you so evil deeds are like that this verse is give, was given supposedly because mahamogalana while staying in vultures peak hijakuta which I have now visited three times. We just recently visited Vulture's Peak. It's a small mountain above Rajagaha that looks somewhat like a vulture at the top. Or you can you can at least get how they how it was named by the locals. Uh, it also seems to have had a reputation for being haunted. It's where uh, Mahamogalana saw many uh, ghosts. And so this, on this occasion, um, he was going on alms round um, with, a, with a thousand, anyway, with a retinue of, of other monks, I think, although they, it's not clear whether it was monks or it was just a bunch of ascetics from the area also going on alms round. So they were maybe uh, just getting in line with all these guys. But... It's also quite possible that this was the group of 1,000 monks who had previously been ascetics. Uh, the grammar's not clear. They had previously been ascetics and now had... Uh, this is the people who the Buddha taught the... the, uh, the Adita Pariyaya Sutta. 
the discourse on the fire, on burning. Uh, anyway, there were a thousand of these ascetics go, going into uh, into Rajagaha for alms. So Mahamogalana went with, I think the other monk was Lakkan, that was his name. Hmm? And all, along the way, Mahamogalana saw a huge snake. Was it a snake? Or he saw a huge Yes, first he saw a huge snake, and uh, with a head, head like a, a human, and a body of a snake, but just huge, many stories, big, flying through the air, on fire, and and in anguish. So it was what it was a ghost that was in terrible pain and and suffering, and this is sort of a theme. Well, it seems that there are many spirits of this sort wandering around the earth um, in, in terrible pain and suffering. And Mahamogalana smiled. And the monk who was with him asked, why are you smiling? It's funny how you might think that Arahants have a bit of a queer sense of humor. Uh, Mahamogalana was a, an Arahant. It's interesting because um, they do have a bit, seem to have a bit of a unique sense of humor. The smile is, is not because of seeing suffering, but it's um, it a, a sort of amazement or sort of a, um, a happiness that comes from understanding the Buddhist teaching and, or understanding the truth and being free from, from the rounds of samsara. <laughs> it's a difficult thing to say because it sounds somewhat cruel, but it certainly is not cruel. There's no sense that he wanted to hurt this being or he was happy for their suffering or so on. It is absolutely not happy for their suffering, which would be a sort of a cruel state. Um, but it's a, a smile at the, the magnitude of, of the truth and, and of, of one's own freedom from that suffering. Um, but I think there's just a sense of sort of awe and amazement at the nature of reality. Like when you see something, wow, that's, that's amazing. But there's no sense of sadness, I think, is, is, is an important point to get across. People often think when you see someone suffering, you have to feel sad, otherwise you have no compassion. And that's clearly not the case. Um, there's, a, there's a sense of happiness involved with compassion. Compassion is a very happy state and someone who is truly compassionate smiles, right? And smiles at, at the people, people who are suffering. Sadness is, a, is anger, it's aversion to the state. It's not wholesome. Whereas smiling can be wholesome, as in this case. Or it's actually not wholesome because an arahat is only functional, but it's a, a positive state or it's a, a pure state. And so anyway, Mahalakana, the, the monk who was with him, was curious and asked, because he didn't see this huge snake flying through the air. So he asks Mahamogalana, what, uh, what, what, why are you smiling? And Mahamogalana doesn't say anything. He says, ask me again when we're in front of the Buddha. And I might be getting this wrong, but there's, um, he, he sees another ghost 
anyway, he sees two ghosts. Let's not get into the details. He sees two ghosts. One, the first one's a snake, and then another day he sees a, a, a crow. Same deal, a huge crow, uh, also on fire. And just amazed by this state. And he actually, he asks the crow, yeah, the second one, he, he asks the crow, what, what did you do to get into this state? It's not actually a crow, it's some kind of ghost with, in the shape of a crow. And the crow says that he, in a past life, he stole, he was a crow, and stole some food, three mouthfuls of food. Now the English version uh, says that it's just food that was left over from a offering to monks. And the grammar is again not clear, but I think that's an odd, I think that's not a very likely reading. So I went to the Thai translation, uh, and it says, it, it points out that it's not what was left over. It's not, it wasn't, so what happened was these lay people got together and they were offering food to the monks um, in the area, many, many monks getting together. In, in a time of a past Buddha, you see, this is very far into the past. And they, so they brought all this food from their homes, and then the crow came and ate, the, ate, the, ate this food. So the question is, when did he eat it? Um, and because it's, it's kind of ethically important, the crow was watching all this going on, and I guess to some extent understood what it meant. But um, somehow the power of the fact that the food was uh, dedicated to pure individuals, ostensibly pure and, and enlightened beings, there was a heavy karmic uh, um, sort of corruption in the, in the crow's mind. Uh, and the, the purity of... You could think of it as this, even if the animals don't know what's going on, they can feel the purity. And so the corruption in the crow's mind to be able to act against that and to take food that was clearly designated for other purposes is, um, is, you know, is a powerful act. So to me that doesn't, doesn't, isn't likely to have been the case if it was just leftovers. So with this suspicion went to the Thai translation and it's actually the opposite. The Thai translation says, no, it wasn't, it wasn't food that was already given to the monks. Uh, it wasn't even food that they had said, this is for the monks. It also wasn't food that they were taking home as leftovers. It was just food that they had brought there, not yet having designated it for any purpose, but you know, brought it just for, for the general purpose of making this offering. The point is it was involved with something pure. And that's an interesting case. There are two interesting cases. And that's sort of the thing you have to know about the Dhammapada is it's, um, as I've said before, the stories are often a little bit wild and, and, and um, shocking for some people. It might not be what you'd expect from, from me and from the, the teachings that I give, which try to be very sort of, I guess, secular, you could say, or non-mystical. But uh, the mystical comes very much from the practical and from the uh, empirical. And so it's just a matter of understanding why it is that ghostly beings can exist, why it is that karmic retribution like this can occur. 
Anyway, um, the the other ghost, so Moggallana goes with this monk to to see the Buddha. And I think probably, or maybe how it happened, although that's not how it's written in the book, is that the crow happened before, and then he, and then he came and saw this this snake, and so he brought and he went to the Buddha. The reason being is. If he had said, oh, I see a big snake up there, it, it would be like bragging, first of all, uh, showing that he has some kind of magical powers. Moggallana was the Buddha's chief disciple in regards to magical powers. But it, was, it would also mean that he would have to stand on his own and uh, stand against criticism or suspicion that he was lying or, or making it up or you know, pretending to be some magical person. So he said, well, let's go and talk, wait, wait and ask me that in front of the Buddha. So they go in front of the Buddha, Moggallana relates what he saw, and then the Buddha says, oh yes, I, I was at uh, Gijakuta as well, and I saw the same ghost. And thereby being a witness. He said, and the Buddha said as well, I didn't want to say anything until I had a witness. Because you don't want, it's not that um, you feel self-conscious or anything, it's you don't want people to get unwholesome thoughts and doubts in their mind. So instead, when you have two people who can verify each other's stories, then it has a lot, it has more credence anyway. So, uh, the, and so he's, the snake ghost uh, in a past life had been a man and had invited an enlightened being, a Pacheka Buddha, to come, uh, oh no, sorry, a Pacheka Buddha had been invited to come and stay in a sort of a temporary leaf hut um, near this person's land. This person was a farmer. And so as a result of this, uh, the, the, the purity and the sort of the fame of this enlightened being, uh, many people came to visit him in sort of the, this uh, rural area. And many of them would just be ordinary townspeople and ignorant in, to the farmer's uh, work. And so they'd trample all of his crops. And many, eventually many people came. And as a result, often his crops would be damaged, uh, perhaps even ruined. And he got more and more frustrated until finally he, he thought to himself, you know, look, the only reason these people are coming and trampling my crops is because of this stupid, enlightened individual. You know, this, 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 I probably didn't think of him as that, but this, this con artist, maybe he thought, uh, this, anyway, this religious individual. So he thought, well, the only thing for me to do is obviously to burn down his hut and chase him away. So that's what he did. He burnt down this hut and uh, I'm not sure chased him away, but burned down the hut and destroyed the residence of the Pacheka Buddha, who, who immediately left without a word or complaint. But the townspeople weren't as forgiving. Uh, <clears throat> so they came uh, at that point and asked the farmer, what happened to this hut? It's all burnt down. <laughs> And the farmer, the farmer said, "I burnt it down, or something like that." And uh, you know, you were trampling all my crops. I had to get rid of them. 
And suffice to say, the townspeople who were just ordinary individuals and not enlightened, they were not happy and being incensed and well, furious with this guy. They beat him and stabbed him and killed him. Sort of, yeah, bad karma all around. But you can say it was far worse karma to... It's interesting, actually, not far worse karma, but pretty weighty karma to do something to such a pure individual. And that's important, you know. Um, it was awful that he, he, he was murdered, and that's definitely bad karma for the people who beat him to death. But there is uh, a recognition of the power of purity, and that's sort of what's being presented in this tale, is that karma depends on your own actions, but it also depends on the people who suffer from it. So if they deserve it, it's far less weighty, you know, in the sense that they've done bad things as well, or in the sense that you know, they're hoarding things. If you steal from the rich, for example, it's, it's unwholesome because you're, you're creating you know, hostility and you're um, going against someone's rightful you know, ownership you're taking something away from someone. But if it's just a drop in, a, in, a, in the ocean, then it's far less weighty. Uh, further, if it's someone who's corrupt and evil, you know, get, making them angry isn't that big of a deal, or, or hurting them is, is bad. But it's far worse if the person is pure, because you're, you're mm, acting against this natural inclination to to like the person and to appreciate their goodness. You're, you're, you're going in the opposite direction or you're, you're moving yourself very far away from them. And um, also because of the, the greatness of, of their being. So in this case, the greatness of that person being in that location, you know, chasing him away was a very, very bad thing for many, many people, not just the enlightened being himself. So that's the story, basically. And then the Buddha gives this verse. He says, yes, um, it's amazing how evil deeds, or it wasn't amazing to the Buddha, but this is the way of evil deeds, he said, that uh, they don't just flare up and then disappear. They smolder. And often you don't even see that they're evil. As we talked about earlier, I believe, the tokang tokang, bit by bit, they feel it's like a uh, drops in a in a cup until it gets overflowed. You don't realize that it's full. Um, so this is the the lesson in this suit in this uh, verse in this story. And I, I th the caution always is that it leads to magical thinking to the idea that karma is some kind of cosmic force out there, you know, that how does it work, and is it God, is it like God, and people say, well, you have karma, we have God, what's the difference? That's quite different, really. I mean, karma is just another um, physical law, and so as I said, it's important for us to connect, it's not a physical law, so it's a natural law, uh, it's important for us to connect um, the moment-by-moment -moment reality to the results, these big results of, of the 
huge snake ghost and a huge crow ghost. Um, and so, so it's important to understand that karma is is this natural sort of law. So it's a natural. It's a part of nature, like the you know this hypothetical, probably wrong concept that if a butterfly beats its wings in China, it, there's earthquakes in, in America. Probably doesn't happen. But the point is that uh, we, we accept that in the physical world, the most minor change can have, can potentially have awesome repercussions, a huge, you know, gigantic, uh, huge repercussions. But we don't realize that the mind is actually works actually very much the same way. And you know, actually, if you think about it, it, it it's quite obvious, quite clearly the case. Our actions change everything in our lives. Um, the decisions that we make are affected by our minds. You know, um, and and that changes our, our lives quite significantly. Our imp the impressions we make on others, um, the the, uh, the the uh, care that we take in our actions. So, people who are angry and 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 or people who are lost in thought or so on are much more likely to get hurt to hurt themselves physically and so on. Um, and then the habit that is formed. Of course, this is the, 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 the connection here, is that karma works on a momentary level. When you get angry, it hurts you. When you get greedy, it sets you up for um, disappointment. But it also changes you. It changes who you are. And this is the sort of the meaning of how uh, it, it leads on to, f to further rebirth. A very profound act, like killing someone or you know, stealing something from someone, something that is um, cruel and, and uh, unwarranted, you know, even cruel like this, like burning down someone's house who didn't deserve it and who was actually deserving of, a, of, a, of you know, great respect and reverence even. Um, you know, these acts leave an impression on one's mind, and they, 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 you can feel when you've done them. If anyone if you've, in your past you've done these deeds, you can feel how it changes you. It really drops your. You know, it's like a suddenly you're carrying something around with you that you can't let go of, and that's what leads you to be reborn in hell. That's what leads to be reborn as a ghost or as an animal. You know, it's it's not magic. It's the um, change, the coarseness that comes. And conversely, if you're uh, if you work to refine yourself, work to better yourself, work to practice charity and and morality and meditation, then your mind becomes lighter, and it's like relieving burdens, and you can feel yourself feeling lighter and happier. And so, as a result, you go to heaven, which is of course always described as light and airy and, and up there, you know, in the cosmos. 
It's not exactly up there, but it's in a sense you know, up and out and expansive, whereas hell is far more repressed and, and constrictive. So the point here is to not be negligent. And these sort of stories are, of course, given to people who accept this idea of the future consequences of our deeds as a reminder of just how bad it can get, you know, just how dangerous bad deeds can be. If you don't want to be a ten-story uh, you know, snake or you know, a crow the size of the uh, sky dome a baseball stadium the burning and, and you know, crying and wailing at your misfortune and just be careful you know, with all things be careful is, is very good Buddhist advice it has very much to do with what we're talking about being mindful shows how important mindfulness is. So this kind of reminder is useful. This kind of story is a useful reminder whether or not you scoff at the story, the idea of a ghost of that sort. Who knows? You know, the, 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 the idea that such beings exist to me doesn't, isn't far-fetched or, or difficult to understand. Physical uh, science hasn't found any proof and seems quite clear that any evidence of such things but then, of course, it's always physical science is always looking for um, verification of you know, reality. It, that that statement, just if we can go a bit off on a tangent here, I'll try not to go too far. Um, there's interesting. There was interesting work done in the last century, um, sort of gathering how good science is, physical science is, at ignoring anomalies. So I just, this is just to point out you know, for, for the skeptic that uh, even if you did get a blip on a radar that turned out to be a ghost, how would you know it was a ghost? Because history shows, you know, you can plot out the, the, the statistics, you know, it's 99% of the time it will be disregarded as an anomaly. And you'll say, you know, problem with the equipment, etc., etc. Uh, science is not perfect. So the potential that science could uh, detect such beings, I think, is still there. Now, um, the, but I think a more important point is that um, no matter what we know about the physical realm, there's nothing that says that's it. You know, there's nothing that says that there couldn't be some other uh, aspect to reality. And in fact, it seems that there has to be something more because we don't have the whole picture. You know, quantum physics shows us that there's something missing and unless you believe in multi multiple universes, um, you have a choice. You can either believe in all of those theories or you can see what's right in front of you, and that's the mind, you know, to see that there is a mental aspect to reality. And in fact, in some sense, reality is based on experience. The only way you can talk about the physical realm is from a point of view of, your, of, of observation, which we would say is your own experience.
So the point being that um, there's, there's no real reason to believe that different states of existence could exist. I mean, this state of existence exists and there's nothing special about it. So, so anyway, the, 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 that's not the important point. The important point is the recognition that our acts, our deeds have consequences and often those consequences are not easily foreseeable. Yeah, they could even be chance, you know, you could lose the opportunity of a lifetime if you have a job interview or an exam or something, but you're not mentally there. It can change your life. You could have all the greatest opportunities in the world and, you know, miss them. You could have the worst luck in the world and by being mindful and, and, and pure in the mind, you could, you could get the greatest break or at the very least you could be happy. You know. but, but more to the point here is that great things could happen to you. I had a story that I tell often now of this uh, woman who contacted me and we were in touch for a long time and she was in a desperate, hopeless situation, sort of trapped in someone else's house. And long story short, I got her to do some chanting, you know, just as a sort of a backup to, to give her confidence and reassurance. And it uh, calmed her and it brought her peace and so she, as a result of this change, you know, just a minor change in her life, she decided to bring a Buddha image into her room. And it turned out that this family w refused to have that in their house and they ordered her to destroy it. And uh, instead of destroying it, she found someone, a friend of a friend, who would come and pick it up. And that friend of the friend came to pick up the Buddha image and take it away. And they got talking, and um, it turns out that, that uh, and they, they were quite, you know, obviously quite impressed by her uh, sort of spiritual practice. And they gave her a job. They found her a job. They said, "Oh, so here's someone you could go and live with and take care of. I think take care of an old woman or something." And so she did. She just up and left, and, and was suddenly freed from her situation. I always think of this as sort of a example of how setting your mind in the right way changes you because she suddenly couldn't live with these people and this is kind of a you say karmic dissonance or whatever, which is actually a thing you know people with different karmas no matter how hard they try they can't mesh together and they'll repel whereas people with similar karma will, will attract and so the purity of her mind you know just naturally gravitated her towards these people and when they met there was a connection they could feel the or see the connection or you know feel this similarity so these are all um, sort of part of this idea of how uh, evil evil deeds good deeds they have far-reaching consequences just like milk doesn't curdle immediately you know, if you're not careful and you leave the milk out it will spoil. And the same with evil deeds. If you're not careful with your mind, you, know, you keep it out in 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 the evil, you know, in, in amongst the defilements, your mind will eventually spoil. Your life will will spoil. You know, so people who think they can get away with evil and say, "Oh, no bad is happening to me," you know, they don't understand this teaching. The, the, this is like milk. You put the milk in the heat; it's still good. You take a sip; it's still good. It's still good, and then suddenly. It's spoiled. Life can be like that. 
you know, this farmer thought he'd done a great thing, so he even boasted about it, and then suddenly he's dead and in hell, and coming back as a, as a, a huge snake ghost. So that's the Dhammapada for today and our live session. So thank you for tuning in. And 